Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oratari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who recently learned about the importance of testicular health. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, ultimately, if you take anything away the from this movie, you take care of yourself. And so you don't get kidnapped by the fridge. Yeah, yeah. You got to take care of your testicles first before the love handles. Otherwise, you get kidnapped by the French. I am fascinated by the notion that, like, perhaps anybody who gets this weird distended testicular condition just automatically gets imprisoned by the French. It's just a rule they have. Had nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. who he is. It's just like, yep, every time we hear about one, we uh, we just got to truck them off and put them on trial. Not taking good care of your testicles. You are You need to go to jail. This is why the medical surveillance state is such a terrible thing, mm. because French prisons are so overcrowded. Yeah. I mean, people. Yeah. You just got to, you know, I mean, it, at its heart, their message, message was originally positive, but the whole war against testicular distension really <laughs> spiraled out of control at some point. Um, it really did. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to bonus content. It's a non-criterion film over there each month. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch, and we've watched a lot of great movies over there, from Dog Day Afternoon to Critters 2, from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band to... Dry heaves. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. <laughs> Del Toro's Pinocchio. We'll throw that one on as the last good good example. Uh, yeah, movies that should be in the Criterion Collection, movies that w- later were added to the Criterion Collection, and movies that no one should ever think about. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's where we have our fun over there. And and surely the Criterion Collection itself has movies I never want to think yeah, about again. Barrel, too. Yeah, a barrel so, full of monkeys. This this Criterion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Collection. What a. What a great list of things sometimes. There's over 70 episodes over there, and uh, yeah, our $1 supporters can access the entire back catalog. So yeah, plenty of plenty of fun episodes for non-criterion films. Supporters also occasionally suggest a list to me, and if I use it, I try to get them on the episode. And it's always fun to talk to somebody about a movie that they really love. Uh, so yeah, it's just a, a fun way to interact with, with fans of our show. I'm still in disbelief that there are fans of our show. I, it's, I, uh, that was, I think I think you're gaslighting me, frankly. I don't look at the real yeah. numbers. so A little above that $1 mark for folks who can afford it and uh, really helpful to uh, to pay our server bills. Uh, at the $5 mark, we thank those people on air. And thank you so much to Stephen Goldmeyer, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Eric Coronado, our current $5 supporters. Above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, mail them off once a month with a little personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. I would like to thank them on air. And thank you so much to Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, Tracy McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Adam Speakerman, our $10 and above supporters right now. Thank you, everyone. That's what I'm going to say. 
If you want to see those postcards without committing that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com and buy past postcards as greeting cards, as uh, stickers, as postcards, as magnets, a uh, couple as phone cases, all sort assorted things that uh, that I just clicked the little check mark as I was scrolling through and it looked like it might work. Um, I'm getting... I'm casting a wider net every time I upload things. So so the the first the first ones I uploaded it was just postcards and stickers. Right. Uh and then I thought, well I'll add magnets and, and now now it's just whatever it works. So there's a couple of t shirts mixed I'm, in. I, I love t shirts. It's great. Seemed like it was striking for a t shirt. Uh yeah. So uh big thanks to everybody who has purchased anything from our Redbubble store. And big thanks to everybody who supported us through patreon over the years and also thank you for listening yes, thank you so much pat this week we are finally finishing up carlos thank thank the lord i it, nothing like i'm just tired of it which is just so it's so much it's just so much it it was a lot it was a lot and and the final episode the, the final episode is not, more uh, so much than all the rest of them yeah yeah um this is this is part three we'll be talking about this week. Uh, done parts one and part two over the last couple of weeks. It is a uh, not a biopic, according to our our interviews uh, with with the star and the director this week on our bonus features. Um, but it is a uh, it is a biogra- biographical film uh, about the terrorist Carlos, aka Carlos the Jackal, uh, real name Ilic Ramirez Sanchez. Uh, it is directed by Olivier Assayas, uh, who prior to this we had only seen one movie from, Summer Hours, which is a very different work to what this is. Yes. Uh, but not too different. I do want to actually – I we talked briefly about the music last week. Uh, I do want to point out that Assayas, possibly more than any other director in the Criterion Collection so far, with, with maybe the exception of Wes Anderson uh, – Assayas has me Googling songs more often yeah, I mean, than anyone else. Yeah, that's I think definitely we've, true. Me we've too. And I and I get like it's a yeah. weird okay. Like it gets it creates a really strange tension for me because yeah. on the one hand, it's like a kind of three way thing where like on the one hand, me too. Um yeah. I really like the music in the movie. Uh the secondary tension of it is that like it oftentimes does work quite well in the movie except for when it extremely doesn't like yeah it's about 80 percent on yeah. and about 20 percent like what so i don't like that choice if that makes sense like it's like when it's on it's like really on and then when it's off it's like why yeah. did you do this what's wrong with you yeah the uh the closing credits to summer hours were Little Cloud by the Incredible String Band, and I'd never consciously heard the Incredible String Band mm-hmm. before, and now I own two of their albums. So there you go. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Asayas has a has a um, pretty like impeccable, just impeccable musical taste in general, seemingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and seems that most of his films work seems like from listening to him talk, it's pretty heavily influenced by like what he's listening to at the time in in a very sort of abstract way oftentimes like not yeah like he talks about the idea that like what he's listening to isn't what's going to show up in the movie but influences 
the way he's right. writing the film. And that's all very interesting. I find seemingly his process for like that part is, is quite interesting. Yeah, what he talks about, you know, and yeah, he talks about being conscious of being too on the nose, right? Right. Of which of, is a, it's a, it's a really uh, it's a good inclination, right? Like to not like just right. Like what you don't want, what you don't want to do is replicate '90s American cinema, where you right. have the the theme of the thing written by the person who like it's like where you, where you have the Batman song sung by somebody in universe. It's it's yeah. Uh, well, actually, I really, I should really re- think of it as, is as the Ninja Turtles thing. You should not, in fact, have Vanilla, uh, Vanilla Ice singing. Vanilla Ice do a theme song for, for you. Yeah. Well, certainly not um, on your in your movie. Did you Did you see the uh, the Black Adam movie that came out no, a couple years ago? No, no, with, My, uh, with the Rock. The kids started to watch I'm, it and then gave up because they didn't like yeah. it either. I wonder if they gave up fast enough for you to encounter the uh, the slowed down version of Painted Black that is, of course, in the movie Black Adam. No, uh, no, I mean, they, I think they got like fifteen minutes into the movie or twenty <laughs> minutes in the movie, and then they were like, "Ah, we don't want to oh, watch they, this." I was even quit there. Right they did before. this independently of me and just like gave up. Yeah. they're like, "We tried to watch that the other day," and I'm like, "You did?" And like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." So, well, be glad they gave up. It's not a very good movie. Um, I'm glad they recognized it. You, your your children have taste. They have taste, yeah. Not, you know, they have kid taste, yeah. but they, they're they smart enough to know when something's a yeah. pile of trash. <laughs> yeah, good on them. Anyway, yeah, so so the music, you know, uh, I don't have a lot to add to, to what we talked about last week, but, but just to reiterate that uh, the music in here is as good as any other work. And, and for for that reason, for the reason of expanding my musical horizons with more... Uh, uh, I I guess looking at what we have here, uh, '80s post punk. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a it is one of those genres where like there's so much of it that I don't know. Yeah. That, like it's yeah. neat when any, anytime anybody introduces me to to more, but like yes, um, it is it is it's quite good. Um, again, except for the few times where he just seems to like just not pick the right like. Right, Every so right, often, right, you're just right. like, huh? where, where, where it very much doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Last week, we particularly talked about uh, was a song by Wire. Yeah, ahead by Wire, right? I think where, yeah, ahead by Wire, where uh, where it's a real rock star moment for Carlos, um, and the song just works so perfect. Yeah, and a lot of them and work then, that way. A lot of them are really, really yeah. on like really perfect choices, and it's just really like. Every so often, it's like, mm, you didn't quite... I think that's the thing about those sort of yeah. bold choices, right? Is when you make those really... like It's probably the most bold choice about the film, is the musical, is the score, in many ways, I would say. Yeah. The rest of the film is, in my mind, not actually that bold uh, as a sort of film enterprise. Um, but the yeah. musical choices are, and as, you know, as anybody, like, we, we experience in film all the time, like, bold choices have the side effect of being either really amazing or you know you're even even in the yeah f- whether it's film or you know it's the actual cinematography or whatever sometimes it's just not going to work um yeah perfectly i think bold bold is a good word to latch on to here uh because part three is the least bold oh yeah of, part three of well, anything so, that we're dealing with yeah go ahead sorry i i do have a lot to that i want to talk about but i want to hear what yeah. you're, where you're going with this okay. well 
Asaius gives us a little context to this in the bonus feature uh, with him that is filmed for the Criterion Collection's release. Yeah. Both of the bonus features on this disc, interview with him and an interview with Ramirez. Do we know when the, the Criterion Collection version was released? It should be... 2011. So it's... And this came out in 2010? It's pretty... So it's yeah. pretty much contemporary with the making of the film. Yeah, yeah okay. Because he would yes, have started yes, filming probably yes. like 2009 or something like that because he said it took him about two right. years. It, 2008, maybe? Yeah. yeah, I think it was certainly after things were done, but not... Not long enough after things were done that these are retrospectives where the director and the star are have had years yeah, to reconsider yeah, what of like, they did. Yeah, yeah there's not right? any real reconsidering yeah. that's taken place or anything like that. Yeah, so you know we're still we're still pretty pretty fresh, pretty shooting from the hip as far as their opinions on on what they have done. So the first two films uh, deal with big actions in Carlos's career, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the second one obviously focused very much around the OPEC raid. And these are actions that for better or worse, uh, given the source, are documented. Right. Yeah. Right. And Assayas talks about using Yeah, he really, really wants to talk about his his sources and like the sort of yeah. sort of journalistic type work that he's done, seemingly yeah. like I can't. I, it sounds really mean. I'm not trying to be mean. Like I can't see it on in the script. Obviously, maybe maybe he found a lot more sources than than are present that like that we've encountered. That's definitely possible. Yeah, certainly he has other right. stuff, and, right? And that's great. But like again, we're dealing with things that are like closed doors, fundamentally unknown, and like he he. He can't. We talked about this previously. He can't seem to make up his mind because his opener hedges in the same way he essentially does in the interview, which is like, it's not a biopic, it's fictional, but I did a lot of research, so it's not. You know what I mean? Like, right. And like, I think it hurts the and movie wanna, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think I think his fidelity to things that actually happen does hurt the movie. So uh, now to with the OPEC raid. Accurately portraying it is maybe a smart choice. I don't know. Um, but when we, we had that bonus feature with the behind the scenes on the OPEC raid, particularly where he says during that, and that's during the making of the film, and he reiterates certain things like this in the interview this week, where he says, we base this on historical fact to the extent that we can, and then we're making a movie, right? Right. So we... we build on top of that in ways that are not true to reality. So with like the OPEC raid, you know, it's there's a lot of people involved, a lot of very high-ranking people involved. There's there's debriefing that goes on after right. this happens and there's a lot of a lot of documentation about what happened. With the murder of the cops in the Paris apartment, uh we have uh Asayas particularly says the dialogue there is taken from the police reports. Right. Um, and there's there's dialogue with uh, with one of the characters uh, this week that is taken from a Stasi report. Um, and I... Who am I to say whether you can... 
uh, whether the recorded conversations by French police or the Stasi. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I was accurate. like, well, I put those on equal footing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Not very high regard, um, but, you know. Right. Yeah. So, so one of the problems with part three here is that the, we're into a less documented part right. of Carlos's life. I mean, it's essentially and he it becomes seems, unimportant as a person fundamentally, so he's less right. It, it, it goings on or less documented uh, by yeah, nature. Yeah, but right? even even before he's become really less important, you know, before before the fall of the Berlin Wall, before the fall of the USSR, uh, this episode is so episodic and elliptical. Like every scene, just sort of. I think the word you're looking black. for, Adam, is boring. And boring, yeah, <laughs> no, boring. Definitely I agree. Too, I agree with what you're saying. I just like, what, like yeah. my my main takeaway with it, like those things you're describing, result in it being boring. Yeah, right. Like it is it's like. Yeah. It's like in part three, he forgot all of his justification that we've heard so far. Of we base this on reality until we run out of documentation and then we make a movie on top of it. It's like he had such a, such a sketch from reality as opposed to a more hardline framework with, with recorded conversations. Right. That, that here when he runs out of reality, they forget to add to it. Well, so Uh, yeah, my, my impression, yeah, it feel the part three feels like a very boring sketch. Um, so yeah, part one and two, we're essentially interjecting conversations that probably didn't happen into yeah. what is air quotes reality, right? Like again, I, you know, right. Stasi reports, French police reports being what they are. They're like, yeah, you know. And the thing, one of the things I complained about in the previous two episodes was a sort of fundamental problem of like there is only one character in this movie, and that character's name is Carlos. Yeah, no one else is a person, right? Uh, they all basically exist to deliver information to Carlos. Like they, they are, they are in many ways like they they're just weird little meat puppets that deliver information, right? And or get fucked. Those are your two options for yeah. people uh, in this, or do both, really, frankly. Um, and so, like, it, it, the movie does have some serious, like, I think, actual structural problems at its core with regards to like. Like, some of the most interesting pr- parts of the movie, especially in the third part for me, are when Carlos is not on screen. When we get, uh, what's yeah. his name, Weinrich, like, off doing, like, deals with, like, the Stasi and stuff is some of the most interesting parts of the film because he's physically engaged in doing a thing. It's it's it, it's more yeah. entertaining. Um, because, like, this point, at this point, Carlos is essentially, like, an office manager. Uh, right. Who likes to harass his employees. That's basically his role in the third film until he doesn't even have it off any employees to harass. Um, right. Right. And, and so like it, it's, it struggles because yes, you're right. Like they don't have anything to add because they, it's such a sketch. I think it's such a sketch that they don't, that adding would feel, I think they got worried probably that adding would feel too disingenuous. Right. Because yeah, like in some ways, right. Like if you interject a couple weird, like kind of like, cool conversations into the the OPEC raid and things like that you can like advance a plot and you can like sort of set a tone for Carlos yeah. 
Whereas if you start injecting them into the, the sort of sketchier parts, I think the problem you're going to run is they're going to end up being more interesting than the things you actually know are true. Whereas in part right. one and two, they can live alongside because what the, the things that are happening are fundamentally interesting. Part three is just a man in his middle age, like decay. If you suddenly inject like action right. scenes or things that are like really interesting conversations, they'll stand out and you'll end up like like sh- overshadowing the things that are actually known, so quote unquote right. known and, facts, right? And of course, there's a point to all that in part three. Carlos is on the decline, and the movie is showing him on a decline, not just physically, but but also reputation wise. Right. right? He's uh. No, I, no one wants to work with him. No one, no country will harbor him anymore. Uh, and ultimately, he has to hide from his former right. employees, employers, and probably some former employees. Well, yeah, too, yeah, probably mostly hiding from his former employers. But at the same time, so much of Part Three and Carlos's decline is the same thing we've been seeing over and over again, and that's when I say a reveals that not only did as we've successfully as we've suspected since we watched part one not only does that interview with angie with with hans joaquin klein uh form a backbone of so much of what what we saw but klein is actively on set yeah yeah that's an interesting thing and like is actively on set but knows nothing about any of the things that are happening later, right? Like it's he's he's right. he's he is their primary source of information about the OPEC raid, like straight up, like he just is, right? right. Which is also basically the last time he encounters Carlos, essentially, uh, right? In real life, and, right? And he seems to be their primary, uh, primary source for Carlos's uh, character, yeah, his personality. Yeah. I mean, they claim to have uh, interviewed some of his former girlfriends and other, and so like they do have. Like, um, has seemingly has some other um, sources, and like the the, it's just like like you know we're always going to run into this problem when you're talking about a real person. Is like, well, those are secondhand impressions of a person based on like limited exposure yeah. to that person, right? Um, I, it, it's fine. I mean, sure, like you know what, it's fine. Uh, of course, the woman he's married to when he gets arrested disappeared. No one's right. ever seen her again. Yeah. Um, right. So, right, like, right. a real, really useful source just doesn't exist, right? Like, essentially. Um, yeah. It, it's, I don't know. It. I My biggest problem is, is that the movie, I think, struggles in a way that is um, more so in part three than, the, and, and part three reveals the, the flaws really fundamentally, which is, the movie is paced. The movies are paced really weird. Like I say, it describes this yeah. process. He's like, okay, I dumped everything that I knew about pre OPEC raid into movie one, box one. I dumped everything I knew about the OPEC raid essentially into box two, which is the middle movie. Then I dumped everything that is yeah. later stages of we're operating in the Eastern Bloc into box three, which is the first part of movie three, and then everything I know about his arrest into box four, which is the, his arrest, right? Okay. Well, first of all, right. You've already got two boxes in part three, which tells me that you have a pacing problem. You have four boxes, three movies. Okay, you have a pacing problem, and a lot of that is because you don't have very many details to fill up box three and four. Box three, probably yeah. some, 
But considering like how disjointed records from the from the from the fall after the fall of the Soviet Union is, your records are probably pretty spotty and weird. Like discounting like how reliable Stasi reports are or whatever, you're also probably like have half of what you should, right? Like at most, right? You like right. people like the ransacking of Stasi headquarters and stuff is a thing that happened. And like people burned a lot of fucking shit. Like there are a lot of things yeah. that are not known. Um and so you've got a lot of, of sort of disjointed record like system, right? Uh, and part four, of course, we know there's basically it's shoddy as hell, right? Like it's essentially a VHS tape is the right. the sole source of information for part four, which I would like to point, I predicted correctly, almost all of part four is dancing because that's what they have. Is him at nightclubs <laughs> yes. dancing yes. because they have their one source of information is seemingly a VHS tape of him dancing at a club. Yeah. And they're like, well, this yeah. is what we know. He likes to dance at nightclubs, and we know he has a testicular condition. These are the facts. Um, right. So that's what's going to be in part four. It's seemingly like he I, he just – so when I talk about pacing problem, we have a problem, which is human lives are not stories. They do not right. unfold like stories. You do not have rising action. You don't have a climax. You don't have a denouement. You do, but they're not paced the way a story is paced unless, like – you're like a very select set of person where you edit the content of a person's life severely, right? Like right. most people live far into, you know, they're, you know, a lot of people live in far into their old age where they decline. That's a very long denouement compared to what most stories have, right? Like uh, right. you're not, you know, my point being that like the movie seems to want to act like part three will be interesting despite it just being the decline of this person. And that's just yeah. not very true. It's not. Now, I will say you could repace this movie if you're willing to dump a ton of fiction to part three. If I'm going to armchair quarterback this, I would make yeah. that East Berlin section like that East Berlin, Eastern Bloc section, like 80 to 90 percent of movie three. You just add a bunch of fictionalized stuff in yeah. there. To jazz it up because he's still doing quote unquote doing things. He's mostly office managing, but he well, is office we, managing like extremely terroristic activities, right? Which is engaging. We, yeah, we have uh, back back first episode when we talked about the bonus the bonus material that is all of disc four for the set. We have a documentary dedicated to a pretty big operation comparatively to what else happens in this right, time right. frame that happened during the mid 80s right yeah and they so, and, and this movie mostly glosses over basically like almost yeah. all of the terror like the activities that happened in western europe via his yeah. organization are montage basically yeah, like we we get like we're, yeah, we're jump cutting, like we're going like oh now there's now she's getting on the train now it's a news report where the guy this guy's like reporting about having the train blown up. It's like jumping so quickly through those events, seemingly so that the part in the Sudan can be like a full hour long. Yeah, which it it should be fifteen minutes, twenty minutes at most. <laughs> like I mean seriously like, though, yeah. because that's that's your that's your that that's your really your following action right? Is this like. This man fully yeah. in decline. He's he's fallen from grace. Whatever you like, you well, can, you had an opportunity to really engage with how a 
person in his position deals with the fall of the Soviet Union. Like yeah. that last 10 years, like the like like very tail end of the 70s, 80s through the like mid 90s or through the uh, late 80s, like you have an opportunity to like engage with like what does it mean? Because the Soviet Union is falling apart. Yeah. The Berlin Wall does not represent like a sudden sea change where like it's all over suddenly. Like the Soviet Union is severely in decline. Um and like what does that mean for a person whose primary business partner is a client state of the Soviet Union? Like and instead it's just montages of terrorist like activities without really a lot of contextual information around them. Um like a lot of to the point where it gets confusing. It like legitimately gets confusing because we've got Weinrich running around having meetings, like trying to arrange things. We got people saying yes and then saying no later. Like to the point where I couldn't keep track of like where we were in time, how like how these meetings related to their business, their activities. Like it got mm -hmm. extremely confusing for me personally like i just i had trouble following it and i think it's because none of that stuff's given any time to breathe because yeah and here's the reason why i think it's like this the movie can't surrender the idea that carlos is the main character and because it needs to constantly cut back to carlos and his engagement with these activities it it struggles because he's not interesting anymore his group is interesting and I think that's, yeah. I think in many ways, <laughs> the movie's obsession with Carlos as the main character, as the driving force of the story and of history, does it a disservice in, or in, in the form of film, in like the form of storytelling. Because Carlos is sitting in a room making plans, basically, and his agents are carrying out those plans. And that's not that doesn't make for compelling storytelling necessarily without a lot of work, and the work's just not put in. Yeah. So everybody, their actions are montages because we need to keep being able to cut back to him and his like arguments with his wife and stuff, and like yeah. birthday scenes and, and, and shit that's just irrelevant. It just is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's not interesting well, that much. It's not. It's not irrelevant. I I agree that it's not interesting. Be, uh, I think it could be interesting because the point of it is to further humanize Carlos in a way that we haven't really seen yet. Uh, you know, it's still still the point of it is that Carlos is a narcissistic hypocrite. Right. I mean, that is the, the uh, which the, we've the, seen the, plenty of already. Yeah, that is the crux of the <laughs> of the entire film series. Right. That yeah. is it. That's their primary yeah. statement. Right. Uh, which I found very interesting in in the inter interview with Asayas on this disc, uh, where he seems to be trying to push back against the idea that uh, Carlos's hypocrisy is indicative of all leftist hypocrisy in Western media. That uh, that particularly at the time, uh, everyone's a paid agent by the Chinese or or the Soviets. Uh, every leftist down to down to the students in the street, which is obviously a, a, a thing we still deal with today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like everybody, uh, everybody's being paid by George Soros. It's it's just how it yeah. works, right? Yeah. Um. 
I think that's the line that that's American right. media right. uses that, all the time, get right? That, get that ka-ching for us, Pat. Throw, throw out his name. He's got to send us a check. <laughs> is that, uh, how, is that how it works? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think if you throw it out there and you throw it out there non-sarcastically, then you get your check from Fox News, right? That's how that works? <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, there's there's that aspect. It's all it. it all has to do with the inflection of your voice, right? Yeah, you got to play both sides. Um, see how it plays out. Uh, but yeah, so you know, it's Aseas in that interview suggests that suggests a thing that this movie does not suggest that that. That Isaiah still has some like like everything about this movie plays into that Western narrative, yeah, absolutely. That Western yeah. media narrative, right? Yeah, Isaiah's claim uh, is like, well, I was able to like slip back into the to the voice of the seventies, like the the everybody's yeah. got a movement. And I'm like, of my, I don't see that anywhere in this movie. Yeah, I think he just means yeah. like the writing style, like the like the verbal phrasing, like. But even I then, th- right. I think he means the language in in multiple ways to use the word language there, but yeah, he he means that uh, this is this is a he's familiar with the sorts of of people he's talking about here, and you know obviously, Assayas as a as a student activist uh, in France in. Uh, the 60s and 70s you know we've we've talked a lot about student activism yeah. in France in the 60s and 70s it's pretty great yeah. honestly uh you know um he's a little young for for the real peaks of that you know right. he was 13 in 68 uh and you know yeah i mean he's getting the that, tail that he's getting like a little the, behind he's probably curve. the right age yeah. in the early to mid 70s he's getting the sort of Already, sort of like the tail end of that, right? Like where, where the where the where the dialogue has shifted quite a bit already, um, in many ways, right? Yeah. Um, I, I here the thing about it is, is like it's the thing about it is, is what strikes me about it is that Asayas is like seemingly, I think, the movie he and the movie has bought into and still is a sort of proponent of a sort of like end of history sort of narrative, right? Like yeah. that like this was it. Like it it ended. Like history's over, right? Like and that sort of idea not not necessarily like in the sense that like in the sense of that statement, right? Like that like well with the fall of the Soviet Union, Carlos becomes irrelevant and so does all sort of politics basically. So does like Yeah. I, and I don't think he's like articulating it super straightforward, but like there's a there's a sort of feeling to the to the film and the way he made everything that it's like like he the things that happened then are now irrelevant that they yeah. have no bearing on today that these are all co- yeah. he even kind of says that a couple of times various sort of variations of that in um in his in his uh doc his interview there's a sort of feeling of like yeah that is all history and it has no bearing on today really uh we hit the yeah. we hit the fall of the soviet union fall of the berlin wall and like that's over and has no bearing on the modern world never mind the fact that like all the politicking that we should that should have been one of the major focuses of this film is like in the middle east post like at the very end of the decline of the soviet union and then the in the and and sort of the sort of 
full establishment of, of American hegemony, like over the region, and everything is like really, really important. Like, and yeah. is direct like, and it's not like he's not living in the world that that created. 2010, he is right. living 100% smack dab in the middle of the world that that created and does not seem to want right. to engage with the idea that that's what made that world. The yeah. history didn't just hit, nobody hit, we didn't hit the reset button in, you know, in 1990 and like, oh, well, good, we all get to start over again. It's all over. Like, no, like the ramifications of the things that happened there are like real and like, and in many ways, because Carlos has to be the main character, how do I explain this? Like, I'm really having trouble articulating myself, but because Carlos needs to be a great man of history, as far as like the film is kind of concerned, he has to yeah. be the focus of attention in a way where he moves action along, rather than being at some point like sidelined in an observer of history and the, and the ongoings of of the world, like. Syria becoming an American ally and, and that is all very, very, very important. And like the way that sort of unfolds is important to history. And like, and it fundamentally renders, it's part of what renders Carlos like incapable of taking action anymore. And like yeah. it, he can't because Carlos needs to move action. It can't be, he can't be truly sidelined as far as the movie's concerned. He can be sidelined in history, yeah. but he can't be sidelined in the movie. He can't suddenly be pushed to the back in the in the narrative of the movie. Um, and that's a problem, I think, because yeah, it, we end up with this really weird dichotomy where we have a declining person, the declining this great man of history declining, and so we're watching him decline. But his importance on the screen is not declining. If that makes sense. Yeah. He's still the yeah, most important talks. person on the screen. He's just not important to the world. Right. He, he specifically says that this movie is simultaneously a story of a generation, a particular individual, and a historical document of the end of the Cold War. I think it is uh, one of those things. I think it is one of those things. Uh, and to conflate the story of Carlos as the story of a generation uh, is a failure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And maybe, you know, there's there's also the point that this movie posits Carlos as as a major mover of of political realities in the seventies and eighties, um, and he's not a guy I'd ever heard of before we watched this movie. Yeah, I, I so maybe that's just a blind spot. No, for me. I and, what and I think it I is had, is that like I think some of that is the sort of end of history thing where like we were we also had the button the reset button hit on yeah us like when we weren't taught about the Cold War not really. Right, like it, like yeah. America. A part of that was a, a decision that, like, this thing was it. Was the American sort of political hegemony deciding that none of that was important as part of the way it addressed the world? Right, like it's like, oh, we're not going to teach anybody about this. It didn't happen. It didn't exist. It's just going to be a sort of like weird, vague, foggy shape in the background. Right, you don't learn about it unless you go and inquire about it yourself. Right, but like some of that is also that like. 
I think you got a lot of problems here, like in the sense that like, well, it's sort of the problem with the great man of history sort of narrative, right? Like Carlos could, the things that Carlos did certainly had impacts on society, but like he did not make society happen. (laughs) Like just the same as none of those other people made society happen. Like, like we run into a fun and like, because he's even, he's not even a world leader we get into a problem where like making him that kind of person is like feels somewhat disingenuous to us as an audience. Right. Like how is this man influencing the world? So intense. It's like, and and most movies that want to deal with an individual who maybe isn't like a world leader or like a major politician in his or something like that do it by like limiting the scope. They, They tighten the scope around the person. The person had a lot of impact on the world around them. But this movie wants to, like, posit that, like, Carlos is, like, his very actions change the world. And certainly, like, terrorist bombings and stuff do change the world. But only in a certain, only to a certain degree in certain places at certain times. And, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they don't, I will, it, it, it's putting him on the world stage in a way that I don't think is really right. necessarily accurate. So, so one thing I think, I think any biography... Uh, and by extension, any biopic, uh, sort of by its nature equates the actions of an individual with a generation. Right, right. Because this is why they are important enough to talk about in a biography. Right. There's some bits that are big sea changes that happened because of Carlos, probably ultimately in history, that we don't really dwell on. Like the fact that in part three, we see a world where the French government is no longer willing to uh, uh, negotiate with terrorists. Right, yeah. And that that is almost certainly a Western reaction to Carlos's actions. I, I would say it's, Not, you know, we, but that's where you get into this sort of like society in concert or in like communication and, you know, with yeah. with the individual, right? Like, yeah, maybe, could, but it also- It could at least be presented- Within the film, it could be presented that way. Yeah, you could. Well, certainly not, you could make the film that so. way. I don't know if it would be accurate to the world, right? I, I would probably argue that yeah. most of the, the change in the way terrorism works is the opposite direction. With the mm-hmm. with the fall of the, as the Soviet Union begins to decline, it can no longer exert as much political force globally. The United States, especially yeah. as the sort of leader of the, the standing global hegemony, no longer has to exercise restraint, no longer has to appear... Yes. Um, to be a moderate force, so no longer has to negotiate right. with anybody, terrorists or other right. nations. Really, uh, can just dictate right. terms, and that includes saying, "No, we're not going to like pay you for hostages. We don't care if they die." Basically, uh, is the yeah. state when you say oh, we don't negotiate with terrorists, you mean we don't care if they die is what you mean, right? Um, right. And the only reason you don't care if you mean is because if you cannot be shamed, if there's no one who can. Yeah. And there's no alternatives presented, right? Um, that being said, I do agree that they that 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 those things are in concert, right? Those are in, those are in uh, in dialectic with each other in some ways, right? Like who, like yeah. My my point is, I just don't buy into great man of history bullshit at all, of course, including of course. Car- and like Carlos. Maybe he had a minor impact, but like in the end, America was going to do what America was going to do, right? Right. Uh, and like, right. and France is going to do what France is going to do in many ways from in, 
influenced by America, right? Um, but yeah, no, right. I, but you could, right? You could still make that part of your movie. You could still yeah. say that, like, you could still even, you could make up a fucking scene where, like, you've already made up scenes, clearly. You could make up a scene where, like, you have, like, a, you, an American ambassador saying, like, you know, buys the, you know, is, like, projecting Bush, you know, seniors, line, you know, yeah. don't negotiate with terrorists sort of, like, rhetoric to the French or something. Or, like, or, you know, and, yeah. and or, you know, it's just not that, right? Yeah. We get... We get allusions to Chirac while Chirac is mayor of uh, Paris before he becomes president of of France um, in the movie. And he's Chirac is in many ways part of that uh, Thatcher, uh, yeah, Thatcher Reagan era of of polit- politics in the West uh, that we're still in. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you mentioned that the U S has an inability to be shamed, uh, and therefore doesn't, doesn't need to worry about what it does, uh, who it hurts. Um, and that lack of, that lack of ability to, uh, be held accountable, um, is, I mean, plays into the broader world that this movie fits into, right? We t- we failed last week to talk more particularly about the politics of this film. But one thing you said after we stopped recording last week was that this is essentially a movie about Palestinian liberation that refuses to name that. Yeah, well, refuses to uh, really even, like... De- doesn't even like saying the word Palestine or Israel. Not very yeah. much, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um. And you know, I some pushback to that. You know, obviously, we get during the OPEC raid, we do get the full statement that they're being made to read uh, is presented in the film, right? Um. But, but, but it's also presented in a very second-handy sort of like off-handed way in many ways, right? Like. It's happening yeah. while other action is taking place. Like, the yeah. movie, whether consciously or not, wants to constantly downplay those elements of this story, right? Right. right. And, you know, as I said on week one, the the very first thing that happens in this movie is Mossad setting off a car bomb in Paris. Right. And that is never named as an Israeli action and certainly never condemned within the world of this. The entire, the entire plot of this film, the reason this film exists, the reason all of the, the uh, bonus material we have documentarian wise exists on this disc is that France never forgave Carlos for attacking Paris. Right. Uh, and yet, within the realm of this film, Mossad can still do whatever it wants, even even in 1971. Right. right? Well, I mean, Mossad, uh, to, like, bear in mind that, like, the movie ends with an extrajudicial <laughs> action, right? Like, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. One that, that cannot be cannot be addressed, like, cannot be treated as what it is, which is, like, if we're imagine the world to be a world of, mo- uh, a modern world of, 
of political order, right? Then like that's an illegal action. And so was what Mossad did. Like it's one side is allowed to take certain actions, the other side's not, right? Like it's it's Yeah. It's it's asymmetrical in nature, right? It it like Mossad can blow up in the in the world of the film and a pair of street. A pair of street can blow up say, and then and then be told and we can be constantly here for the rest for the next 30, 40 years, it's the most uh, moral army in the world or something like that. It's the, that that idea that, like, well, they didn't put anybody in danger by blowing up a car bomb on the street. That's, you know. Yeah. Um, it, you know, well, they were particularly trying to trying to kill a Palestinian, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, <laughs> when you try to pe- kill people who are not, as far as the state is concerned, people, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, whereas you know ultimately you know we get we get the little where are they now updates at the end which which by and, the way uh, can i point out this is a gripe that is unrelated to most of the the nature of the film but the subtitling yeah. on that section sucks balls hard yeah it does because you have yeah, to sure read does. the name of the person in the non-subtitled part portion Right. You have to look at the picture, right. read the name of the person in the non-subtitle portion, and then you only thing that is translated is what happened to them. I had right. to stop every single one of those to be able to read it. Right. Right. Fucking yeah. frustrating. No, 100%. Sorry. It's not it a, a like a critique of the film at large. It's just like, why would you do yeah. this this way? Just write everything on the bottom, please. Yeah, it was very silly. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, what the movie leaves us with there is that Carlos is never even tried for the OPEC stuff uh, and is is in prison in France uh, solely for what happened in France. Primarily, at first, just for the murder of the two policemen right. in the apartment. Uh, and then eventually, post-film post even, uh, going to be tried for his connection to... Uh, the drugstore bombing that the movie shows him as happening, and the French all know that he did. Uh, right, I mean, it basically ends officially. with a like that trial's going to happen soon, basically, like uh, yeah, sort of thing. Here's a here's a weird bit of context for you that that I don't know I don't know how far we want to explore. Okay, uh, in 2009 and 2010, so while this movie is being made, yes. Asaya signs two position, uh, petitions in support of Roman Polanski. Huh. Okay. Uh, this is this is because Polanski was detained while traveling to a film festival around that time. Right. We we have talked about many many people who have signed yeah. that petition. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, should yeah. definitely. Uh, I'm not surprised it. to say oh. signed it. But uh, <laughs> the particularities of these petitions were that uh, film festivals uh, should be some sort of artistic uh, safe zone um, and freely and safely traveling to... to uh, uh, You should be allowed to freely travel to. <laughs> As an artist, you should be fi- allowed to freely travel to the festival. Uh, but uh, but also <laughs> that arresting filmmakers traveling to neutral countries would open the door for actions of which no one can know the effects. Um, given that Carlos is arrested extrajudicially in a neutral country, yeah, 
Uh, <laughs> do we do we want to explore any parallels between? I mean, the, the reality of the matter is, is like, I say, treatment of Polanski. Yeah, and we could. I mean, when when you get down to it, <laughs> what you have is the classic sort of sort of neoliberal sort of like contradiction of concepts. Right, that's an enemy. Yeah. And is therefore evil, and this is, and and has no rights, and one yeah. is not. One of them is an artist who is important to the cultural milieu and ha- should have rights. Basically, like it's yeah, like I, I mean, like I, I will say I think that both of those arrests are bad. I think, yeah. I think that's bad yeah. to do. I think. I you know I do not like Roman Polanski. He deserves to be in jail, but I do not agree with countries taking actions that they do not have a right to take. Like, but then again, yeah. like the concept of yeah. world order is is horseshit. It's just garbage nonsense. There's no such thing. Right. Like again, one. Right. You know, some people are allowed to take extreme action. Others are not. Right. It's just the way it is. My God, the the week we're recording this is the week that. Uh... You know, we've 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 done every we've paced out the whole Carlos thing, but we've still done the whole film in a week, right? Eight days. Yeah. And within these eight days, Israel Israel has has made official statements. Uh, uh, official Israeli accounts have tweeted, uh, "Not even the hog will stop us." Yeah, it's like and it's like, it's the the Hague is like irrelevant. Like it's in the in world order <laughs> is the it like yeah. It is essentially those who have American backing and authority behind them can do yeah. anything they want, straight up. That is the right. rule of law. The only people who are ever tried at The Hague are, are people who are <laughs> actors from states that are enemies of the United States, straight up. That's just yeah. the way it works. Yeah. Um, it's it, Which makes it funny are- that America has the law about The Hague like convicting american presence yeah. and stuff because like that would never happen it's yeah, a law it's a law hedging anyway. bets against a thing that's impossible yeah yeah uh but uh but to say but but one of the reasons is impossible is because the american service members protection act popularly known as the hague invasion act yeah. exists passed in 2002 to to make it so that u.s soldiers didn't have to be worried about committing war crimes in the middle east Right. Uh, the but, U.S. passes an act that says if a U.S. soldier is ever uh, incarcerated by the International Criminal Court, we're just going to go break them out. Yeah, and in the, the reality that, but but I would argue that that that's probably a reversal of the situation. A was yeah. B was like A was never going to happen without B. Like yeah, the the law exists more as a like more of like a pet project for like the u.s like <laughs> congress than it does as a yeah. real thing that needed to exist the Hague was never going to put any american service member on trial ever it was never going to happen it was a fundamental impossibility because yeah. that thing does not operate independently of american sort of hegemony it just doesn't it it, it has no independent authority in the broader sense of the world it just doesn't um, just like I mean, because like even out like <laughs> like 
what we have here, Israel, the the current situation in Israel represents a a kind of like, in many ways, unprecedented situation, which is multiple states supported by the America disagree about a thing that one of them is doing. Yeah. And that's the only reason anything has happened at the Hague at all is because there are America's line is so extreme now that now some allies of America feel almost compelled to call it out. <laughs> and so like things do end up but like it was never gonna do anything. Like, yeah, the Israeli uh like, oh, uh, you can't the Hague can't stop us being some of course being some very super villain sounding shit. Um some very Seth Sephiroth, I think, is what people always describe it now. Um, yeah, doesn't change the fact that like the Hague was never actually going to do anything, right? Like it doesn't possess within itself it's an independent authority to do anything. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 back to Andrew Jackson saying, "Well, does the Supreme Court have an army?" Uh, <laughs> exactly, it's, and. And yeah. when you it is funny because Andrew Jackson's one of those presidents that like by and large Americans like prefer to forget. Uh but he articulated the American conception of itself extremely thoroughly in every regard. Like that's yeah. it is it is purely might makes right. That is all that exists. It is the only functional concept. <laughs> In American, right. in much of and, American society, right, and someone like Carlos recognizes that mm. and is trying to use that to their advantage, right? Um, either by manipulating uh, the U.S.'s might makes the West might makes right ideology, or insisting that their own might makes right, right? right. Yeah, absolutely, and, and at least uh, our conception of Carlos here. I mean, let's let's be very clear, like. Well, I'll never know anything about Carlos as a person, and some of that's a choice on yeah. my part. <laughs> uh, he's not a very good Marxist uh, with regards to his own, right. at least in the movie, right? He's not a very good Marxist with, with regards to his conception of himself and his position in the world. Um, yeah. But, like, that's Edgar Ramirez's version of what, you know, it's like, we're so secondhand, it, it's, it's fundamentally um, basically right. relevant. Um, but like, yeah, I don't, I, at least the version that we have in this movie is a might makes right person as well. He is the, the sort of terrorist counterpoint to American imperialist action. Right. And that like, well, I'm just going to also yeah. blow up everything uh, and kill everyone to get what I want. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to mention about act three here is, uh, the point where Carlos, uh, I can't remember who he's talking to, um, but he outright states that uh, there's no difference between superpowers now. Oh yeah, who is that, he talking uh, to? That it doesn't matter if they're capitalists or well, communists. Well, he articulates Mao Maoist um, theory, but like uh, the three world <laughs> theory, yeah, but yeah. like not very well. And also, I don't think on purpose, as far as the movie is concerned. Well, it's it's another point of hypoc- hypocritality. As far as the movie's right, concerned. Right, the movie's... Is, because like, as he's... Yeah. 
Go ahead. Sir. He is saying that for me, there are no longer any difference between superpowers, whether they're capitalists or communists. They're superpowers, and that's it. For me, the only struggle that matters is the oppressed against the imperialists. That's the only one. But he says that, and we immediately get a montage of weapons passing through the USSR on his behalf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 uh, it, you're right. It is meant to play up hypocrisy, but the movie doesn't conceptually understand that there's an entire branch of Marxist theory that engages with the idea of, of the USSR as, a, as, a, as an imperialist power that like is also right. oppressing the third world. Like it's uh yeah. yeah. The movie doesn't seemingly doesn't know that. Um uh, right. Asaius makes mention of Maoist in his documentary section, but seemingly doesn't necessarily know what that is. Yeah. Cause really when you get to it, like you could there's a version there's a version of that where 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 we have um Carlos articulating that, but I don't think that's what we're getting here. Right. Right. While while Assayas in that interview, again, as I stated earlier, says explicitly it is a manufactured bit from Western media uh to to scapegoat Carlos and therefore all left leaning people as uh as hypocrites, as paid off, as as uh, as agents of some foreign power or or something, uh, but everything in this movie wants you to know that Carlos and all fellow travelers, right, are hypocrites. Well, right. I mean, well, so 100%. I mean, like, we can we, we can get real bold and accuse Asaius of like the same thing that like every, a lot yeah. of people did, right? It's the it's a classic neoliberal sort of heel turn of like, well, I didn't like being accused when I was being accused of being bought yeah. and sold by somebody else, but like fully willing to go along with the modern dialogue on, on what yeah. things like this mean. Right. And like the villa, like, like I don't, I'm not here to defend Carlos, but the vilification in general of, of the left broadly speaking by society. Yeah. I mean, vilification within this film, I'll always come back less to Carlos and more to Nada. Yeah, no, yeah, for uh, sure, for sure. Nada's presentation as as just an insane woman. A, a, pe- a petulant child uh, and is then really even the rendering, I would say. A petulant child. Yeah, a petulant child with a gun. Uh, and then even in, in Nada's uh, postscript, where are they now, uh, the line in her update that says she was acquitted of her part in OPEC because witnesses were afraid to testify. I know that was so weird. Like I don't, I didn't find any other material relating to that anywhere else. It's very, um, yeah, it's, 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 she's the only one who gets done dirty that way. Yeah. By that, that ending credit section. She's the only one who's like, man, She's certainly the worst. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but what I mean is, like, when you look at the other ones, they're more, they're in many ways more measured, right? Um, yeah. Like, that one, yeah, like, has just a really intense amount of, like, I don't get the deal with this. It's, like, really woof. <laughs> like, it's just real. I, I, I had also noticed that when I was watching. I was like, oh, shit. Like, what do we, what do we have against this one person? Yeah, seemingly more like, than they have you know. against Carlos. It's crazy. Yeah, 
so much of this movie's treatment of women is meant to show Carlos's treatment of women, and Carlos is a misogynist. Yeah. Um, as many second half of the 20th century uh, leftists in general, French leftists particularly. I mean, I think we can broadly say as our, many second half of the 20th century men. Like, I mean, they yes. are they are yes. neither unique nor special in their misogyny, right. frankly. If you want a revolution, do the dishes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're all bad. Um, in part three, Carlos is particularly presented as a man whose testicles are failing, but he still loves a blowjob. Uh, we get, well, and he, uh, like, he so escalates many. the violence of his sexual acts, right? Like, I think that's part meant to be part of Red as part of his decline. Is now it's like, yeah. now it's prostitutes. Now it's now it's like people who, like, he's not attractive of it in and of himself anymore. Is sort of the idea, right? To the point where we do right. see like sexual violence, a very sm- like a very. We don't get a much of it because it's it's very like kind of just a bit of a brief scene, but it is it is told to us by the film, like this right state agent who's like it's we don't need to recount it's fine um yeah but like that's the point it's like it's they want to express he's no longer attractive to women and so now women don't like him anymore his dick doesn't work uh he's hardly a man pat yeah i mean there um yeah it's i mean i I, you know (laughs) He's off, he's vain, right? He's off to go get liposuction instead of getting his balls fixed. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. He takes uh, which which and his vanity leads to his downfall, right? Because right. if he had gotten if he had do, done everything in reverse, uh, the timing wouldn't have been right for the French to be able to kidnap him in the, in the night. Um, I mean, which is which is a funny thing for a movie to say as as though that is true, <laughs> like. Yeah, like, the idea that extrajudicial like uh, like um, kidnappings are well, the, we the only way we could make it happen was while he was laid up with with broken dick syndrome, like yeah. Instead of <laughs> instead of the idea that oh yeah, well these powers now have the have the capability and authority to do this in any country, including not like neutral territory that doesn't authorize it, right? They can just do. Right. It. And in many ways, right, like, it plays into this really strange narrative that the movie constructs, right? They're only able to do this to Carlos, even though he's in decline. If he were fully healthy and, like, virulent yeah. still, he wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to get him. Like, the dude has no more power. They have all yeah. the power. They could do it anytime they want. Right? Right. Yeah. And, and his physical state does not need to reflect his lack of power. Seems to historically, maybe. Yeah, that's know. true. But I think that's. Uh, but, I think we're dealing with more historical coincidence than anything else. I don't think right. him being fully ambulatory would have mattered to his extrajudicial, uh, you know, removal back to France. Like I just don't right. think so, right? Because we see ten guys roll into that room. You don't think ten guys yeah. could like capture a, a late state, a late middle aged man, like? Even if yeah. he's fully capable of walking, like I don't. What are you talking about, movie? And and the ten guys hold him down while the Frenchman uh, knocks him out. Yeah. With uh, with with some sort of injection, right? Uh, 
so that they're back in French territory before he wakes up. Uh, also, also key point that the guy says they're in French territory, not that they're in France. Uh, right. So, so they only had to go like twenty feet instead of right instead right. of five thousand miles because <laughs> we are in Africa. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. The whole thing's very silly. I will say, you know, I while much of this movie's humor is uh ironic juxtaposition juxtaposition of uh carlos's presumed hypocrisy or actual narcissism i do think carlos actually is a narcissist i, I agree uh, that is, prob- that is probably that is probably true yeah yeah like it, from what i've learned about him likely. outside this movie yeah it, it seems very yeah. likely i'm not that's why i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to like thread the needle on like i am not here to defend carlos yeah. i am more Right. interested in engaging what like talking about Carlos in the way we are says about like yeah the worldview of the creator and the society around the movie right like yeah. it it is fascinating it's a fascinating thing to even consider the f- idea that like this movie gets greenlit at yeah. this time like what compels that that it, seemingly the arrest of uh you know Carlos and stuff is put in the trial and stuff play a big part in why that that happens, right, um, right, right. But like it, it's, but it's also part of a narrative that needs to be constructed, right? Like it's like, well, we caught one of the boogeymen. We need to remind you a why yeah. he is a boogeyman. Like we need you to understand because right. you've probably forgotten him. Frankly, um, we've had bigger boogeymen since. Yeah. And we caught one. And, More memorable and we boogeyman. Need to, and to a certain yeah. extent, I would argue, in a very broad societal sense, this movie represents an, a way to justify what's happening. Yeah. I don't think it's like, it's not state-sponsored. I don't think like what the whatever the French version of the CIA called up Canal Plus and was like, we need you to make a an anti-Carlos film stat. Uh, but like, it's, yeah. it's a much more of a cultural milieu thing of like, well- We've caught the boogeyman. We need to remind you why he's a boogeyman. We need you to understand why he's going to be treated the way he's going to be treated. We can't, because you we run the, there in a sort of societal sense, we run the risk of, like, him not being a boogeyman anymore, right? Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like, eventually we're going to, I maybe it's already happened, but I assume at some point we're going to get, like, a Osama bin Laden movie like this, right? Or something. Oh, like almost it's probably already. Maybe exists. it already exists, yeah. but like it exists to justify. Like, well, yeah, we're gonna like we have to continuously and constantly. And I actually assume they're gonna just gonna keep getting made because there's a certain extent that the American system does need to justify shooting a man, dumping him off a boat, right? Like that's a thing that needs to be continuously justified, right? Um, it's I don't know it. Because America is allowed to do anything it's it wants, but it it while it has no shame, it does need to like constantly present itself to its own narrative of being the good guy, right? Like it needs to justify itself internally as being the good guy, right? Uh, and doing good things yeah. around the world, right? Because if you lose the home front in terms of like America's the good guy, you might actually have a problem. You're not really at any risk of that, but like you, you might actually have a cultural problem then, right? If like, 
if if a more if you pull Americans and a majority of them say America is not a positive influence on the world, like a you know it's ninety percent of Americans say that, you might have a problem. Pat, by the way, is Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty is the film you were refusing to remember existed? Dude, um, like I don't, I like it, I'm sure I like, you're right, it exists. I just my my <sighs> point is I think it's not far enough where we have a problem of like the turnarounds too fast. This would be like yeah. making a Carlos film in like nineteen seven in like nineteen eighty one. Yeah, it's also fair that Zero Dark Thirty, yeah, came out like came out like. Less than a year after. I think in 10 years or something, 20 years, we're going to get like something more akin to this, right? Where where we need to engage with him as like a great man of history to like explain, use him as an explainer yeah. for the world or something. If nothing else, you'll have to re-justify the Patriot Act in like 10 years and be like, why why is it important yeah. Yeah. to like make sure Americans' lives are terrible? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um One of the things that uh, that I've discovered about Carlos outside of this movie that I really think plays to his narcissism uh, is that uh, after September 11th, he uh, basically makes an announcement, writes a letter to someone who knows how how this was made, um, declaring that uh, Al-Qaeda is the... Uh, forget the exact terminology but basically that that the best hope for palestinian liberation is now bin laden uh which one is not a thing that bin laden is explicitly right, interested right, yeah. in as far as i know i, I think um, i think at this but, point you know, i i but, do agree that carlos does appear to be like a narcissist like and yeah. desperately yeah. wants to carlos be back just on wanted to stage. be in the news yeah yeah, yeah. totally that's, i definitely agree with that my my i, I saw yeah. that earlier and there's other things that are like akin to that like seemingly at his yeah. trial he comes off as more of just a ranting lunatic in many ways than like yeah. any, having anything yeah. insightful to say, which would also feel very narcissistic. You can't put me on trial. I, I, you know, yeah. Like, um, I, I, I just don't have any interest in learning more about him. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, no, I don't find no him as a, a character that yeah. I care about, that I want to learn about. Right. Like I there think... are, there are revolutionaries that are like actually like, you know that yeah. are like theor- like interesting. are interesting for their theoretical ideas yeah. and the things they wrote and they said. Yeah. Carlos is not a is not a producer of Marxist work or 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 right. A, uh, you know, a theoretician of any sort. He doesn't seem to have things to say that pro- that contribute to the greater yeah. uh, body of 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 sort of the socialist movement, right? Like, yeah. there's plenty who did. On, Carlos, I could just least... go read those, <laughs> like. They've got at least at least it. write a poem at some point, Carlos. Yeah, like do he something. doesn't seem to be interested uh, in that, or and that yeah. that alone lowers his his position in my view so dramatically. I don't care to learn about him. Yeah, I think I think to that extent, uh, Edgar Edgar Ramirez talking about playing Carlos is taking the right r- approach by being very clear that he is playing a character. Yeah, I think not I, a yes, person. I agree. I agree. Edgar Ramirez is like probably sub- significantly more grounded in what's happening yeah. here than I say is. It's like, look, I made a character whose name is Carlos. <laughs> like I'm yeah. not playing the real man that I don't know anything about basically or I know. Right. You know, he says he did like 
read lots of extra material, but then created a character off of that, right? It's not like I am being right. Carlos. It's I, I read a bunch of shit to give me some ideas, yeah. and then I made this character. And then, frankly... And he, and he still... He still starts from the script in which he reads it and says, oh, this man's a narcissist. Right. And that's Asaius' script. Right. right. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Not, yeah. It's, that's, it's really very much yeah. like he's got the right, generally the right idea about the whole thing is like... I, yeah. Asaius wants to live on that border between those two worlds. Ramirez does not, seemingly. Right. Like, right. let me introduce you to the character I created called Carlos. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, uh, it, also, interesting little discre- discrepancy between the Ramirez and the Asaius interview in that Ramirez himself says he got three to four weeks off to gain the weight to be older Carlos. Right. Uh, and Asaius puts it at two and a half weeks tops. Right. Uh, I don't know what that means, uh, but but it's one of them's playing with the reality, and I don't know. Um, well, I suspect it it's, I, I suspect it's probably more of a like, what do you consider time off? Sort of thing, yeah, right? Like maybe, maybe like that. That would be my sus- supposition. Is like Asaius considers. I yeah. gave him two weeks to like be gone from set. We didn't see him at all. Whereas. Uh, Ramirez yeah. might be like, well, I was on set, but I wasn't really acting. I was just around, and I considered that. Time I suppose off that or makes sense. Like that. Yeah, because even Isaias does yeah. talk about like him just sort of continuously gaining weight as it goes on, because you got like he can't just do it overnight, right? Right. Like, so he, he had, and right. like, I do. I have to admire some of the technical accomplishments of this movie. They're, they're worth. That's one of them. Like, considering their yeah. shooting schedule and keeping like, like Ramirez being able to like look so consistent and like and like i the between the yeah. makeup department the costume department and ramirez himself the fact that he was they were able to pull that off and you're not constantly going like wait what the fuck is yeah. legitimately impressive ramirez in the third movie looks like an older version yeah it's of the really guy fucking was, impressive it's it's that really they recorded amazing. like three months before yeah maybe, it is right? it is so yeah. fucking impressive i am i am and that's all Ramirez yeah. and the makeup department, right? Like that's they're just right. those two in concert make that happen, yeah. and it is, and and also um what's his name Weinrich is also very like it's not the same transformation, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like his aging process is so authentic. Yeah. As this wiry guy just gets wirier and more sort of yeah. uh, like kind of hunched. Yeah. It's real. It's good acting. It's good makeup. It's. And it's yeah. so subtle it in a way that, like, I'm reminded of uh, what was the uh, Scorsese movie with uh, Robert De Niro in it? Uh, the Irishman? The Irishman. Like, where it's like, well, we've just got to yeah. CG the shit out of this. And it's like, well, we pulled off a fucking 40 year fucking. Well, I know. It's it's harder to go back. I will not. It's, yeah. I know. The Irishman was a was a seventy five year old trying to play. A I know, I not, know. Well, that's not what, a thirty one year old playing. Let's playing be very 20 clear here: is it's a lot easier yeah. to go in one direction than the other, and they and like Scorsese's yeah. choice to do it that way is fucking batshit to this day. I don't understand it. Like, just <laughs> right, pick a right, different right. actor. You can just pick another. Yeah. You can find one more actor on Earth. You could just do it. Um. It's still very impressive, right? Well, and what what you have here is you have yeah. Ramirez like solidly in the middle, so he's just going about ten to twelve, years, like ten to twenty years in each direction, rather than trying to reverse right, time right, by right. F- by fucking fifty years or something. But like, yeah, 
it's it is very imp- I think it's very impressive. I think a lot of like the costume and set work in this film are really quite. I don't usually comment that on yeah. that, but I find Sevigny's decor and 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 costume styling when it's done well really engaging. Um, mm-hmm. And they do a really good job of setting, doing a lot of mood setting with the places with the sets and stuff. It's right, like you're in Stasi headquarters. And, you feel yeah. like you're in a in the place. It's it feels real. Um, right, we're dealing with uh, settings that are vastly different uh, to one another uh, over time frames where internally those places change a lot yeah. uh, culturally, and and you know it's all is believably what it is meant to be in each instance. Um, and the fact that Johnny Walker Red is available in every bar in the in the world. Uh, accurate. Is, is probably true is to accurate. life. <laughs> yeah. Including ones in, yeah. including in bars that are probably in dry countries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still accurate, I think, probably. It's got to get the diplomatic pouches back to their origin country some way. So why not fill them with Johnny Walker Red when you when right you right right back? yeah my well, uh, it's it's they, it's wasteful they, for them to travel empty right right you send me weapons I use those same pouches uh, to to mail you Johnny not Walker give you yeah. Johnny Walker this this is for me for later but but you will receive it if you want it you can drink some of it. There was one point in the Isaiah's interview uh, where I was really taking back. There's there's a lot he talks about around storyboarding um, and and not doing it <laughs> and not doing it because he thinks mostly he goes on to justify it by saying uh, the script is an outline as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so storyboarding would put us into a corner that I don't want to be in. Um, I want I want the film to grow organically with the actors, with the acting, with the camera, with with you know everything coming together, and that's smart. But the first thing he says on the matter is my shots are too complicated to storyboard, and that's not true. Yeah, that's just not true. That's I mean his... your shots are great, and there's some real complicated stuff in there. You can storyboard anything, man. Yeah, uh, I mean the the camera is a planar object. The story the the frame of the storyboard is a planar object. Anything can be re- anything the camera can shoot can be rendered on storyboard. It just can. Um, I mean, I yeah. do buy what he's saying. I would say that, like, I don't know that those statements are necessarily as true of his other films. Like this film, like obviously you've got a billion locations. You've probably never physically yeah. been to any of them. How the fuck are you going to storyboard that? Reasonable argument, right? You're like, I, pff, right, I'm right. not in Lebanon yet. I can't storyboard what that place I've never seen before looks like. You know what I mean? Like, fine, reasonable statement. I don't know if that's true of summer hours. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it is really yeah. true specifically of this film. It does seem like it is his philosophy in general. Um, it probably does make him particularly well suited from a technical perspective to shoot this film because he's yeah. used to like coping in f- seat of his pants, like arranging scenes. So that's probably a good person yeah. to choose for that kind of stuff, uh, for this kind of thing. Where like, this could probably be the kiss of death for a director who wants it to be all laid out ahead of time, and then gets to the place and it's all fucking wrong. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Now, certainly, certainly allowing himself to improvise is great. I just think 
his his initial justification that yeah, his shots are too complicated. complicated like, is yeah, it's nonsense. It's, it's just, just not true. It's just yeah. yeah. I mean, like it is. It is. It is a different sort of filmmaking, and he's allowed to do it however yeah, he wants. It's just, and he's good at it. But you don't have to make but, up reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to say I don't like to do it that way. Um, yeah, it's almost. It almost feels like somebody like briefly moments before off camera had been like harassing him about, about that storyboard yeah. and he had to like justify himself he sort of cycled through all of his justifications until he got to one that like actually fit um yeah but yeah no it's um i say this is, interview is interesting um as far as insight into how the film gets made but in many ways does feel like him defending himself yeah in a way that yeah. like it doesn't feel like I say he doesn't feel like it needs to be. He needs to defend himself because I don't think there's a lot of like negative criticism of the film just floating around, especially not the certainly sort of not things, on a technical aspect. Yeah, like yeah. that he's like that. Certainly not the elements that he's responding to, and so it's very like right. it, in that way. I feel it's a little, huh? Like why, why are you mostly justifying yourself? Yeah, I think there's probably criticism floating around about veracity. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. his. Is talking about his style. For all those Carlos heads you know, out there. For all those Carlos heads. All the all the BBS posters. R slash Carlos. Uh whatever. One of the other things Asaya says regarding the historical veracity of this is that uh quote, I didn't adapt, I found. Uh meaning Meaning again, he he based this as much on reality as he could. Um, for part three, again, could have done some adapting, my man. Uh, obviously did some. Yeah, like there's stuff that's shown here that no possible way do you have a source material on. Yeah, ba- yeah, uh, things and it's are interesting impossible stuff. to have source materials on. Yes, Carlos with his wife and kid at the beach. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, makes him multifaceted in a way that we really hadn't seen yet. Uh, tying that in to his decline as an international terrorist, uh, maybe not also the... him becoming a family man, didn't really do it uh, except to complicate it later when uh, cops finally had enough and leaves, and he Carlos is briefly shown to be despondent that he is in a country where he can no longer communicate with his daughter. Yeah, and uh, you could have, you really, 100% could have, like, way, way more played that up, right? You already made it up, probably, yeah. to, basically. So you could have right. emphasized a lot of that as, like, part of the decline is also just a general, like, despondency with, like, the position he's in or something like that. Yeah. But, like, the movie doesn't seem to really want to do that. Those brief glimpses are more to create multifacetedness, as you said, than to really like construct a character, newly construct a character, or, like rebuild him in a new uh, sort of a new version at, at, later in life. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that Ramirez and uh, and the woman who played cop, uh, Nora von uh, Waldstaden, um. I bet they were very excited to get that opportunity to play those aspects of that yeah. character. Um, 
and the yeah. other little humanizing moments, like when he when he comes back for his thirtieth birthday with a with a new Mercedes Benz, uh, and and they have a little playful moment together, right? Uh, in a very a very loving way. Um, interesting, uh, but. Well, see, and the funny thing about that scene is that even that sort of used to play up his, like, his... Oh, narcissism, Narcissism, his sell-outness. It's like, well, like, you have a Mercedes in the Eastern Bloc, like... Yeah. You are ostentatious to the extreme. (laughs) Any leftist who buys a Mercedes-Benz is a hypocrite, Right. Uh, period. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) Right, but this is a leftist in a movie... We're like, do we know that he bought a Mercedes Benz for his thirty minute? Maybe we do. That might be yeah. a historical record somewhere. Carlos, don't buy the Nazi car. Just don't do it. Uh, but yeah, uh, what are you gonna do? It's all not drink Fanta. You're in. You're in. You're in Germany. You gotta drink. Fanta. Right. It's the law. So uh, uh, it comes yeah. out of the water fountains. There are no water fountains. Yeah. There are only Fanta yeah. fountains. The no ethical consumption under capitalism aspect to uh, Nazi companies. When you're when you're living in the Eastern Bloc, uh, probably unavoidable in a lot right. of ways. So, um, I mean, certainly, I would say it's uh, probably harder if you lived in West Germany, but it's pretty hard on both sides. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But certainly, certainly, Carlos could have avoided buying a. He certainly didn't have to car. go out of his way to buy a Mercedes. That's for sure. Yeah. A thing that was I, probably had to go through a lot of weird channels to get in the first place. It's yeah. more about showing power, I, right? Because like that's not a thing right. you can just yeah buy. I only know I only know of one person who ever accidentally bought a car, uh, and well, that's a fun story. They didn't actually end up buying that car. Yeah, Carlos buys a Mercedes Benz. Is is again, you know, it's his narcissism. It's his consumerism. He's been corrupted. Uh, he's not really true to his leftist ideals, which you know we all know anyway. Uh, but this film, again, is just at odds with what Asaya says about. Because it positions Carlos and everyone else as just as hypocritical as Isaiah says, the Western media wants you to believe Carlos is, uh, in order to in order to write off all leftists. You're participating in that. They say, "Stop participating yeah. in it. Just don't do it." Uh, but but yeah, um, yeah. The the great family moments of them and 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 Carlos, you know. It, the idea of two people heavily involved with. Uh, leftist terrorism uh, sort of retiring and wanting to raise a family is is an interesting idea in media and has been explored in media before mm-hmm. and and you know whether or not uh, that counts as selling out if if uh, is it is it bourgeois uh, to to have a kid and mellow out <laughs> because you just want to raise your kid uh, you know that's a thing we could explore. Uh, and, you know, Carlos, maybe it's uh, it's not really clear why he eventually says cop is just petty bourgeois. But maybe an aspect, if, if that is a real opinion he had, maybe an aspect that she wants to just give their child a life that any kid could have. Uh, that is maybe an aspect of that for him. Um the idea that uh, she is somehow keeping the child away from him, despite the fact that he, she has moved in with his family, uh, could be an interesting play, way to explore. That we get hints at. You can't get letters from them. 
but that's uh, nature of his political situation, not of their relationship. Um, yeah, there's, there. I think there are interesting things this movie could get more into. You had, you had said the whole Sudan bit could be 15 minutes. I think there's stuff that happens in Sudan that I'd really like to dig into. Well, what I mean is uh, what we have but, in Sudan could be 15 minutes. Like, right, 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 right. That's fair. Like, it's yeah. not that... Um, yeah. It's not that we spend an hour there, and it's not. It's, an, it's, it's a very empty an, an hour. Is hour. My point. Yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 yeah. It, what they have is fifteen minutes worth of material. You you absolutely could engage with that for much longer, but you would need to do a lot of adaptation and adventure and like whole cloth creation, yeah. right? To make his life there engaging, this sort of middle aged, washed out, um, you know, former big shot yeah. like sort of theme could work you just need to like make it more like right now it's just kind of empty it it like there are other parts of the film that suffer from this problem but none of them ex- extended as that like it's very like like there's yeah. a lot of interstitial stuff that like is meant to like fill up time f- it feels like rather than provide us yeah, real life fair. context i think that's fair um but then when the movie does a thing to provide us real life context, it also feels weird. Like like this this episode more than any other, like with the OPEC stuff, we saw them fake archival footage, right? Right. Uh in order to get a really great transition last week. I really love that shot where we start with the black and white fake archival interview of the Chancellor of of of, of Austria or whatever, um, or whoever whatever position that guy actually was. Uh in similar style. Uh, cut to a black and white shot of a bus that that pulls forward and pulls into color. Right, uh, right. Really great transition. Really loved that bit. Uh, this week we have what seemed to be actual legitimate French news documents. Right. Of people reacting to uh, to the terrorist attacks that we see in part of that whole montage thing. Uh, you know, because we don't actually instead of seeing any of the attacks. Which you know maybe the movie doesn't need to show us more attacks. No, I don't. I, that is not thing. certainly not but, what I am. Yeah, uh, I, right. I'm. But I'm playing for see... like more complication and like storytelling yeah. around it rather than just right. montage. Right. We see montage of prep of prep, uh, and then we see uh, a solid thirty seconds of French news on the ground reaction interviews from victims. Right. Uh, that is kind of interesting, but also weird that we haven't had that before, maybe. Right, right. Uh, like, suddenly we're very reliant on actual historical document uh, being presented to your audience uh, instead of this fictionalized glaze that everything else has had. Right. Uh, and, again, I think it is it is just another part where... A- our third part of the film feels very different to the first two parts of the film in a worse way for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Generally speaking, I, I parts one and two are really great. And, and part three caps that story, but yeah, I mean, part three, yeah. Part three just feels like a let that like part one and two yeah. are pretty good. Are, I, I alternate like I like oh, there are a lot to like about them. Yeah. I don't know that I love them, but I like them a lot. 
Uh, there's a lot of things that are pretty engaging about them, and yeah, like three is just an in, really an intense letdown yeah. as far as movies are concerned. Right. Yeah, Asayas gives a shout out to Fanny and Alexander during his interview, talking about working for television um, and comparing himself briefly to Bergman. Um, I'm glad that the Criterion release of this did not do what the Bergman miniseries have done. Uh, Fanny and Alexander, we got the miniseries version and the film version. Right. Uh, if with this we had gotten a miniseries version and like one or two of the different film cuts, uh, it could have been interesting to compare them. But I also would not want to. No, I think it would have been per- like it's just prohibitive much, in the right? way that like I yeah. would not have wanted to do that. And yeah, and considering how many different cuts there are of this, uh, as previously discussed. Uh, seeming like at least half a dozen, yeah, uh, of of vastly different lengths. Um, yeah, I, I'm betting most of what's pulled out is this third act, and everything else is built around OPEC because they put a heck of a lot of work into and, OPEC. And it is it is fundamentally uh, the most interesting part of the film, right? Like it just yeah, in terms of like just audience engagement, yeah, it's the most interesting, like. I it, it is just a weird it's just a thing where like they I'm I'm just glad it was, I'm glad that we discovered that it was broken into the three obviously logical parts period watching yeah. this as yeah. a super movie would have been oh, that yeah. third part dragging would have been so much worse if I we oh, didn't have a yeah. break in it like, can you imagine watching this oh, yeah. this five and a half hours straight through and the last two hours it just it steadily gets less and less interesting and engaging and you're like trying to just keep your attention like here the breaks provided me the ability of like okay i'm starting fresh i can just get through this um yeah that's actually another another interesting aspect of part three is that it does start fresh part one plays directly into part two part two starts the moment part one ends whereas part three is and then part three is just is years later right or whatever yeah. yeah um right and like Part three, I think, and that's part of the flaws of part three, is that, like, it doesn't create a continuity between those uh, things. Like, it, it does feel like it's a whole separate section. Um, and, like, yeah, like, it, it go, launching, like, having this be a, integrated in that way would have been really, that last part would have been yeah. even more of a letdown in a lot of ways. Like, it just doesn't, like, yeah, I, doesn't work. I can't imagine watching whatever whatever cut of this exists to have it as one theatrical release. Uh, I mean, I can imagine it. I can imagine the version you talked about, those really short cuts where it's like, you're probably skipping huge swaths of like, especially the third part. Yeah. It's, it's easy to imagine. I'd hope so. It'd be very funny if it's not, it's only the third part. (laughs) OPEC stuff's not in there. It's just the third part. Um, Yeah. Considering, Considering that the original film idea was meant to just be about his capture in Sudan, uh, there's really not a lot of material about his capture in Sudan here that's compelling or interesting. I understand why when he got into it, he decided to make a much different movie yeah. than what he originally that would have was been, going to make. Well, so then you get into like your other option that like that could have been a thing, right? But then it's a it's a military action movie, right? It's the the daring raid, and you just have to invent a bunch of shit to make it way more interesting than ten guys showed up in a room 
held a dude down while another dude injected him with a syringe and they carted him off. Like, that's just not yeah. functionally very interesting. So you'd have to jazz it up real, a lot, right? Like, there'd have to be shootouts that didn't happen. There'd have to be all kinds of... Yeah. Or or you make it a political th- thriller as they wheel and deal their way into the Sudan, right? And it's actually about the people who did it um, instead. Yeah. It is a sort of Zero Dark Thirty kind of thing. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, maybe. I've never seen that movie, but I'm going to assume that's what it is. <laughs> it has to, it, presumably it's a valorization of the of the soldiers who did that thing. Oh yeah, no, no, I, that's, I, I've that. not seen it, but that's why I have to. Listen, assume it is. I Catherine Bigelow is an interesting filmmaker. Uh, I've never watched Zero Dark Thirty either. Have no interest in watching what uh, no what comes off to me as a uh, a pro U.S. imperialism thing that I'm just not interested. Yeah, in. Yeah, no, totally. So. And uh, that's it's what it was when it was made. I don't even remember when uh, it was made, but like and, I do remember it, and it just was not. Until gonna... which point is the Criterion Collection makes me watch it, assuming they will at some point. I mean, depen- uh, I, I'm yeah, not going to watch yeah, Super Dark. It's 30. definitely possible. Yeah. Um, we yeah. we we could we can make a a bonus list that is just the the pro imperial American imperialism list. It's a huge list. You really have a lot of winnowing down to do uh, to get it down to four. Yeah. But um, yeah, any any movie uh, with an American tank in it, you know, we it's a already lot of to choose from. We already watched uh, Invasion USA or whatever the fuck that movie was. Oh, did we watch? Uh, we, did we watch Red uh, Red Dawn or whatever it was? We watched we watched the original Red Dawn many years ago for for, a, for this. I think even for a July for a July no a bonus episode. Uh, that's what I meant. Like I I had forgotten yeah. that we've been doing bonus episodes long enough that like we did that for yeah. a bonus episode because my memory of watching Red Dawn was with Andy in my old apartment. Yeah, I had forgotten sense. that this podcast is older than my house. It is I mean, it's definitely older than one of my um, children. I had forgotten that it's older than one of my than my house as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think we can probably close the book on Carlos. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like uh, this, this whole thing has a lot of good going for it. It is a visually interesting movie. Uh, it is stylistically interesting. The soundtrack is definitely interesting. The use of music is very interesting. Uh, but. The last film, the it last, really the last it's sort of hours. a poison pill, right? Like it really makes yeah. my me negatively reflect on the previous uh, the previous yeah. sections to the point where like I'm sort of now in a sort of good riddance phase with this right. movie, and I don't think that's really fair that, to part one and two, but yeah, that that good riddance is of course very much helped by this not being a politically interesting movie. Yeah, that's definitely part uh, of it, which right? Is like, always, this could have been a problem po- so us. politically interesting and instead right. it's well, fairly politically really. disengaged. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of political yeah. dribble at yeah. dribble at best, right? It's um yeah. 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 Uh I will say that while it is not stylized this way uh almost anywhere else. Um it's not stylized this way on the Criterion release either, uh, but the film poster on Wikipedia uh-huh. uh, has Carlos in quotes as if that's part of the title, and I think that 
is is a really great choice from whoever made this. Yeah, yeah. To <laughs> to say that this is Carlos air quotes. Not, yeah, well, not an yeah, because it says Edgar Ramirez is Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. Yeah, and that's you know that's how Edgar Ramirez approached yeah, the character. Yeah. That's sort of half-heartedly how Asaius approaches the character. Well, we just come uh, back down around to the fact that, like, Asaius yeah. in the end just could not make up his mind. He wants right. to have his cake and eat it too, and that's just not the way things work when you're making uh, like historical doc- like historical fiction. Like you, you have to choose. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I would, I would love more of an explanation an exploration of politically what Asaius is thinking here and why, you know, he chooses to make this movie, but presumably uh, the idea is brought to him. Uh, and if it's just him reacting to the capture of Carlos and um, 10 years, you know, 15 years later, um, or, uh, you know, the hunt for bin Laden inspiring it or whatever, uh, the the upcoming trials, if he's choosing to make this movie because of a political climate of uh, French revenge against Carlos, that'd be interesting, and I want to see that right. and know that. Well, and it it exists within the film that that's probably what's happening. Yeah, I would. But to I say would, it's not being upfront about it right. is is weird. Yeah, I would. Too. I would say that so, like, yeah, I mean, we we all kind of know, right? We talked about this earlier. Like, in the end. Like, the the system sort of has to explain itself within a sort of yeah. limited framework and say like, "Hey, remember this guy?" Uh, yeah. I you know, and I again, I don't think there's like a weird sort of CIA cabal that's making it happen. It's just like, well, he's in the news, but nobody, but most people don't remember why, or or only know very vague. Because again, like we've all sort of moved on from the Cold War. We treat it like it kind of didn't happen. We we have to like reassert why these things are the way they are. Um, yeah, but he doesn't engage. Sayus does not engage with that. Not really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is our final episode on Carlos. Yeah. Uh, the 2010 uh, miniseries by uh, Olivier Sayus. It's been interesting. Yeah, I'll, and I, but I'm week, also excited to not be watching Carlos anymore. I'm excited to watch yes, something else. Yes, this is this is generally the problem when we break uh, break single uh, spine numbers into multiple multiple sets, or even when I, when we're going through a box set. That's well, a it's so, but it also does depend on if it's a good one, uh, right? Because there have been ones where like every right. one was like more of more awesome than the last. That has yeah. happened. Yeah, <laughs> listen. The three months we spent going through Berlin Alexander plots was I was done with Berlin Alexander plots by the time we got to but it. But I enjoyed but individually. It. Yes, I, in, I yes, it yeah. Was, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like boy, I'm ready to watch something else. But like, I think the benefit of that one is is because each of those was not, I don't think each of those was two hours long. Uh, yeah, it didn't feel like it felt more like watching TV, which is a thing I'm quite familiar with. Uh, yeah, uh, you know. So I, no, we we've watched box sets that were like. This is the right way to have done this, because can you imagine yeah. how much we would have hated this movie if you watched it for five and a half hours? I don't oh, even yeah, think we yeah, would yeah. have been able to, we to talk about it intelligently. We would have just been so burned out. 
I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next week we'll be uh, getting uh, a film from Zoltan Korda. Uh, we've seen productions. Uh, Zoltan Korda as producer. Uh, Zoltan Korda's brothers directing, but I don't think we've seen him direct a film yet. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. We did see one. He directed Sanders of the River in the Paul Robeson box set, another great box set that I'm glad we took the time yes, exactly. to do, yeah. even though we did... We did two films per episode for that, but I'm glad we spent a whole month we on the power, in the box set. I mean, that was before uh, we established the rules of the, of our game. Yeah. For, we'll be talking about The Four Feathers from 1939 next week, as I said, directed by Zoltan Korda. More war. But now it's in Technicolor. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, but yeah, look forward to that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick, who retired Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts The Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>